Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 12. We're going to read verses 22 and 23. Then, turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. There was an article that I read this past week by the Associated Press entitled, Recession Fears Grow. So ironically, uh, my phone gave me a little notification of this article while I was pumping gas. And uh, I would like to read to you a little bit of this article, Recession Fears Grow. It starts off like this. Inflation is at a 40-year high. Stock prices are sinking. The Federal Reserve are making borrowing much costlier. Home sales are down and mortgage rates are up. And the economy actually shrank in the first three months of this year. Is the United States at risk of enduring another recession just two years after emerging from the last one? For now, even the more pessimistic economists don't foresee any imminent downturn, at least not before next year. I have some major concerns about the journalistic integrity of what I just read to you. <laughs> so, like, first of all, is it still up there? So, first of all, they just named, like, every possible thing that could go wrong, right? So, like, gas is $5 a gallon. You know, uh, milk is $5 a gallon. Baby formula is just Kool-Aid powder now. The eggs at Myers are brown. Like, everything has gone wrong. They name everything that you could possibly, like, like, bring up that sense of fear and worry. And then they say, but even the most pessimistic economist says, we're not going to see a downturn, well, at least this year. <laughs> which I don't find comforting because me, like you, I plan living into the next year. And so when my doctor says, hey, nothing's wrong, at least for the next six months, I'm not comforted <laughs> because I, I want to be in that space. We live in an interesting time right now financially. There's a lot of things that are going on. I have concerns, and I know that you have concerns. I know that we've had conversations in our house about raising inflation costs, about things that are changing and shifting, and I know that you're doing that too. You know, we're living uh, in a giant transition that we've not really seen before. 20% of all Americans have switched jobs since the pandemic started. That's a huge shift. I'm thankful that there's a lot of $15 an hour jobs available in Milwaukee, but... $15 an hour right now is just going to get you three gallons of gas or three gallons of milk or one really fancy drink at Starbucks. And, and I, if you think about all of the wonderful, like, retired age people that we have in our church, if you're not in that category, can you imagine what it would feel like to be in that category right now? That if you're on a fixed income, you don't have the ability to go out and get an extra job or to change jobs to earn more money. If you don't have that freedom to do that at the age you're at, well, then being on a fixed income, this could be a scary time. There could be big changes in how much it costs to buy things, big changes in what your retirement account looks like. These stresses can rise up, and a very natural 
human reaction to all of these things would be to worry. None of us had to be taught how to worry. We were all, we were all born with the skill. We were all born with the ability to see something and to panic. No one had to explain panic to us. The, the word worry actually comes from the Germanic language. So in Old English, worry was wirian, and then in the Germanic language, it would have been virgen. And so virgen means literally, and I love this, to strangle. <laughs> this resounds with my spirit. <laughs> have you ever had a problem in your life that made you worry, and it made you worry so much that you grabbed it by the throat and you started to strangle your problems, and one of us is going to pass out in the process. When we sit in a room like this, we know there are that many different unique financial situations. Earlier this week, I spoke with a 19-year-old from our church who is hoping to get an extra 10 hours of work each week in his $12 an hour job this summer. Between that many weeks, he can come up with another $1,000 to put towards his school bill. His heart is thinking about, his mind is thinking about, can I get this extra $1,000 to this 19-year-old? That's a huge deal. And he is asking God that he would honor God with this, that God would bless him, allow this provision. Maybe God is going to surpass what his goal is, but he has this goal he's working towards. And then I met another couple on the exact same day, about two hours later, and they were talking about how they're getting ready to set up the cell of a multi-million dollar corporation here in the next few weeks. Completely different story, but it's not just about personal wealth. To these Christian people who love God, there are hundreds of employees who are employed by this company. And so with every decision and every little line of a contract, there could be a huge impact on someone's family. And so they're trying to carry that responsibility and act in this in a godly way. We have very diverse experiences and in this beautiful co compilation of our church, what I find really wonderful about Jesus' advice about finances is to anyone in any circumstance, he gives the exact same advice. We're going to take four weeks uh, starting tonight to work through a series called Jesus Talks About Money. And we're going to look at what Jesus said specifically in the book of Luke about money and see how that can transform our ability to work through these problems, to allow us to see God in our finances, and allow us to lead more effectively in this area of our lives. God wants all of you. The Bible says that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you can always keep that list going. God wants you to love him with your relationships, with your home life, with your work life, with your finances. God wants it all. And in the book of Luke, Jesus says some fantastic things about how we manage our money. And we're going to talk about these this month. Uh, I want to reread this advice that Jesus gives to us. So in Luke 12, 22 and 23, I want you to think about this as Jesus giving this one piece of advice to a diverse group of people with a diverse group of financial situations. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you to not worry about everyday life whether you have enough food or to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Jesus says, don't strangle it. If you spend all day reading or watching negative news stories, if you wake up in the morning thinking about your financial stresses and then you fall asleep at night doing the same thing, you are going to strangle it. You're going to hold on so tightly you will not be able to breathe and eventually you will pass 
out when it comes to the stress of our financial challenges. Jesus wants to teach us how to overcome worry. We're going to talk tonight about how we can overcome worry. We're going to look through the next 10 verses in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to see what Jesus has to teach us about overcoming worry. Let's read the next five verses. Luke chapter 12, verses 24 through 26 says this, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what is the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? When you feel stressed about your financial challenges, I believe the first thing Jesus wants to encourage you to do is to look around. You know, when we worry... We are strangling our problems. Something happens, and it happens to our vision. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of passing out. I have had the experience of passing out. And maybe you experienced what I experienced, which is this narrowing of vision. You might have seen, like, dark clouds or white clouds or something moving in on your peripherals. And as you lose the oxygen that, oxygen that you need to stay conscious, you're going to see that vision kind of move tighter and tighter in until you get this tunnel vision and you can only see what's directly in front of you. This is exactly what worry does in our lives. It causes us to lose our peripherals and begin to stare at just one thing, and that one thing is always us. It's always our problems, the things that affect us, the things that we're worried about, and we become very focused on this. And Jesus says, don't, don't strangle as, as you feel that temptation to worry, as you feel that desire burning up inside of you, I want you to look around. Don't lose your peripheral visions. Look around. The two examples he gives is the birds and the flowers. Aren't the birds and the flowers doing okay? I understand that you're really worried about inflation. I understand that you're really worried about your job. But aren't the birds and the flowers doing okay? Look around. Aren't the birds and the flowers doing okay. I love taking my kids to the zoo, specifically my youngest son, Miles, because as my older ones get older, they get kind of used to it, which is kind of sad to get used to having elephants and penguins and tigers in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But my youngest one, he's not used to it. He loves it. He always just walks into the zoo with very wide eyes. He loves the elephants, and specifically near the elephants, they have this like special display set up that tells you how much an elephant poops in a day. And uh, we, we really like that spot. Um, it's, it's a lot of poop. And I, I looked it up today, the, not the amount of poop. I looked up uh, how much it takes to take care of an elephant. I mean, these are huge animals. If you think about the amount of food, you think about the veterinary care, you think about caring for the, the, the cages, the, their habitat areas. As you go through all of that, there is a number. And so the number is $130,000 is what it costs to care for one elephant in captivity. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of energy. That's, that's a lot of poop. And now I want you to think about there are 40 to 50,000 elephants living in the wild, either in Africa or in Asia. And if we can keep them in their natural habitat, where they're protected in their natural habitat, how much does it cost for those elephants to live and be cared for? It costs zero dollars. 
they, they don't need a thing. Why? Because their God is caring for them. God is their doctor and their food supply, and it costs zero dollars. And if your God can care for the smallest bird in your backyard, and he can care for 50,000 elephants, he can care for you. And when your vision starts getting cloudy and you start zooming into one thing, Jesus says, look around, look around. The birds are doing pretty good. The other one he gives an example of is the flowers. He says, the flowers of the field, look how, how beautiful they are. Uh, I looked this up today. The most expensive dress ever made uh, has 150 carats of diamonds sewn into the dress it cost 16.2, I'm sorry, $6.2 million to have this dress made. Um, from a man's perspective, I looked at the picture, and it looks exactly like something you could get for $200 on a clearance rack. God makes the most beautiful things. Can I say that again? God makes the most beautiful things. Women, you can get talked into buying the $100 eye cream and skincare. God makes the most beautiful things. We, uh, we pay money every summer to have our lawn treated, right, so that the, all the flowers and dandelions don't grow up in our lawn. Uh, but, of course, as I walk around my neighborhood with my beautiful daughter, she will always stop at the one house that doesn't pay that money, and she will say, Dad, aren't these flowers beautiful? Can I take one of these home for Mom? And I say, yes, I don't think they're going to miss them. Jesus says, look around. And I think it even goes past, you know, the, the birds and the flowers. You could look around your church. Think about the testimonies of the people that are sitting in this room right now. Think about the Christian people that you know, family members, who could say, God provides. He's been so faithful to me. When I got stuck, when I didn't know how things were going to get put back together, God showed up. And so I understand, I see, I sympathize that you are going through a very worrisome time. But if you'll look around, you're going to see that God's been really, really good. And there are amazing financial testimonies in this church of the provision of God. And when you don't strangle your problems, and you look around, you're going to see the good things that God does. Can we read through the next section? This is verses 29 to 32. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. When you feel stress about your financial challenges, the second thing Jesus wants to encourage you to do is to look up. In these four verses, Jesus describes two ways of approaching financial stress. And he attaches these responses to two different kinds of people. The first group of people Jesus calls unbelievers. Jesus says these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, if you are an unbeliever, these things are going to dominate your thoughts. In 2015, NBC published an article about how many, how money monopolizes our thinking. More than politics, more than work, more than love, they asked Americans what their greatest financial fears were, and then they separated the results by age brackets. I want to share this with you. So people age 18 to 24 said their biggest financial fear was living in debt forever. 
people ages 25 to 44 said their biggest financial fear was always living paycheck to paycheck. People age 45 to 64 said their biggest financial fear was never being able to retire. And people age 65 plus said their biggest financial fear was financial fraud or having their identity stolen. Jesus says that there is a group of people who will have these kinds of thoughts dominate their thinking, and those kinds of people are called unbelievers. This was a little tough for me to swallow working through this week. Because if I'm honest with you, there have been times in my life where these kinds of thoughts have dominated my thinking. And so it's hard not to feel a little offended when Jesus says, if you are someone who these thoughts are dominating, I'm putting you in the category of the unbeliever. What, what is that link between worrying and unbelieving? In Luke chapter 8, there's this episode where the disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee. And as they're going across the Sea of Galilee, this giant storm comes up. And all of the 12 disciples are on this boat. Jesus is nicely asleep in the bottom. And the disciples start to worry. They start to panic. If I was to take the disciples' story and give it a little bit of a creative switch over to our topic for tonight, it would look a little bit like this. James' company just went through a merger, and he's worried about being let go. Peter's mother-in-law wasn't prepared for retirement, and he's worried about budgeting the extra expenses. Andrew spent recklessly in his 20s, and now he's worried about paying back his creditors. John's wife is pregnant again, and John's worried about the rising cost of health care. The disciples are in this storm of worry, and when Jesus comes in the picture, he asks these worried people one question, and his question is, uh, where is your faith? In the message version, it says, why can't you trust me? Why are you filled with unbelief? Worry and unbelief are linked together because if you do not believe in the power of God, if you do not believe in the love of God, if you do not believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ, then that means your only solution, check this out, is you. And if your only solution is you, that is a legitimate reason to worry. <laughs> if, if you are your salvation, panicking is a great choice. And you might say, oh, you know, I, I've got this under control. Do you have this under control? If, if, if the, the worst thing that could happen from this series is we go through four weeks of teaching, and at the end of it you go, well, I got things figured out now. Thanks, God. I'll take it from here. <laughs> if you don't believe in God, then you are your salvation, you are your solution. But if you do believe in God, if you believe in a God who is powerful, if you believe in a God who is loving, if you believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ, you will go through life fearlessly because you know that God is your provider. This is this second option that Jesus gives us. We don't have to go through life as an unbeliever. We can go through life as Believers, Luke 12, 31 says, seek the kingdom above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus says, look up. There's a second group of people, not the unbelievers. It's the believers, and the believers have a different response to the worries of the world. They look up. They believe in the power of God. They believe in the love of God. They believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ, and they don't 
worry. We were a little rough on the disciples here, but now I'm going to tell you a better story about the disciples. So let's take them a little traveling through time. So through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the ascension, after they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, we're going to take these same men and put them into Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are on their way to the church, and as they're going to church, they see a lame man by the temple gate, and this man says to them, I don't have enough money for my next meal. Would you give me some money? Let's look at the way that these guys respond. Now that they're no longer in the boat, these are no longer unbelievers. God's no longer saying, where is your faith? These men have been through some stuff. They have a change of mind, heart, and direction. And they are here, and they are believers now. What do they do? The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. I may not have money, but I'm not working off the supply of things that I have. I'm walking through my life living off the supply of things that my heavenly Father has. And the things that my heavenly Father has are really good things. You might be sitting here thinking, I just need $8 for my next meal at Chick-fil-A, but I know my heavenly Father has better gifts than that. My heavenly Father, he's going to make your legs walk again. My heavenly Father knows that you need to be healed of depression, and he's going to give you hope. My heavenly Father knows that you have dealt with trauma and anxiety, and he is going to bring healing to your soul. My heavenly Father knows that you need hope, and he's got buckets of hope laying around his house. So God is going to do an amazing work, and these men, Peter and John, have a completely different reaction to worry after they have changed their heart when you believe in Jesus Christ. God can allow our reaction to worry to be an uplifting moment where you look around and you see the good things that he is doing and you look up and you put your trust in him first. You are not walking through this life living off of your supply. We want to walk through this life living off of his supply. In Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Amen. I am not going to be afraid. I am not going to worry because I am a channel of the good things that God has in store. I want to read the last two verses that are in the passage we're working through tonight. Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He kind of takes a big jump here in the last two verses. And to be honest, we're not, we're not really going to get into where he's going. He kind of offers some extremely radical financial advice. He offers some ideas that are not of this world. He offers a heavenly perspective. We're going to take the next three weeks, and in the next three weeks, we're going to work through some more practical things. We are going to talk about getting out of debt. We are going to talk about how to live a generous lifestyle and working through those things, but we can't take the first step until every believer understands where their source is. We've had stressful conversations in the last two weeks about finances. I know that you're going through the same things that we're going through in your unique ways. There has to be a good path 
where God allows us to come to him and start lifting some of this worry up. I don't want to see you strangling the worry that's happening in your life. I want Jesus to challenge you tonight to look around, see all the good things he does, and then look up and let him be your source. Amen? So when I turned 16 on my birthday, I went to a Sonic restaurant in Mesa, Arizona, and I put in a job application because I wanted to buy this instrument right here. I had been playing trumpet uh, in middle school, high school band that was a trumpet that my dad gave me that he had had from 30 years earlier. Uh, but this was a unnecessary purchase, and so this was going to have to be my money to come up with it. I had seen Kenny G. It was, it was the 90s, people. <laughs> it was the bare feet. That's really what it was. And there was also, I think some of the people who grew up in youth group here would know the name Reggie Dabbs, was a youth evangelist who always played soprano saxophone. So it, it's a saxophone. It's called a soprano sax because it's the higher-pitched version of saxophone. Um, and so I worked that summer, and the moment I had $500, I went to the music store in Mesa, Arizona, and I bought their cheapest saxophone. This is a, it's the brand, which you can barely see. It looks like uh, my saxophone has some kind of skin disease here. Uh, it's Winston, which I have never heard of again from the day that I bought the saxophone, because it was literally the cheapest thing that I could find. But I remember the feeling, my mom driving me home in the van as a 16-year-old, opening up the case, pulling this thing out for the first time and trying to figure out how to play it. Two years later, um, me and my sister won first place at the National Fine Arts Competition with this instrument. That year, uh, they did, it's been a while, but thank you. <laughs> You're about 20 years late, but I appreciate that. We, uh, just that year and only that year, they did this unique thing where they gave out a free uh, overseas missions trips to everyone who won that year for the National Fine Arts. And so as a 17-year-old, my first international experience was going with my sister on a missions trip to Warsaw, Poland that was a phenomenally transformative experience in my life that happened because of this instrument here. You know me as the worship pastor of this church, and so the thing you probably see me do most often is you probably see me sing or play piano. But when I was 17 and 18, I actually I was not great at either one of those things. And the thing I was the best at at that time was this. And so when I went to do my college audition, this is what I auditioned on. And during my college years, got about a $30,000 scholarship that helped me get through college because of this little thing. And, and, and I look at this now, and like this has been sitting in my office. I'm, I'm going to attempt to play it for you. I did it this morning, and I just want to tell you, it went terribly wrong. Please put your phones away. Um, <laughs> It really should be a piece of furniture at this point. I'm not taking it to heaven. It's just, it's a thing, right? It's a thing. Like, we think about finances, and we think about the stuff. You think about that, like, really nice purse, that nice house, that nice car. Like, it's just, it's just a thing. I'm not taking this with me to heaven. Who I am going to heaven to see is the God who led me through each one of these paths, of the God who provided for me, the God who opened doors, the God who led me in the steps he would have me to lead me in. And I'm so thankful Money is just a tool. It's just a weapon that can be used for good or for evil. Let it be used for good, that God would do something amazing. I'm going to attempt to play something. And Mandy, I want you to read the, the lyrics. There's this old song that I think a lot of you will, will recognize. And I want Mandy just to read the, the lyrics to it. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, 
a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches. I know he watches. I know he watches me. Father, I thank you that you're here tonight. As we flip through the stresses that are in our current financial situation, of the things that may be going really well and the things that may be going very poorly, I pray that your spirit would speak to us tonight. I pray that worry would be broken in the power of your name. I pray that stress and anxiety and anger and frustration would fall limp at the power of your name. I pray, Lord, that if we have become tunnel vision, you would allow us to look around and see the great things that you do. Help us to look up and see you as our one and only source. I pray that you would walk with us through this series. Allow us to be open-minded to what your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Allow us to be brave enough to do the things you would call us to. We love you. We thank you. We worship you with a grateful heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.